Ladies and gentlemen, my name is Ben, and in this episode of the Smoking Hot Confessions Barbecue Podcast, we're jumping over the ditch and heading to Hawke's Bay, New Zealand. Hey family, I hope you're well wherever you are and you got that thin blue smoke rolling. This is episode 110 of the Smoking Hot Confessions Barbecue Podcast. And before we get into it, I've just got a couple of announcements that I want to put out there for you. First of all, if you haven't noticed, winter is officially here. I'm on the Gold Coast. I've actually had to put on some, uh, some socks and shoes and long pants. I'm not very happy. But uh, being a follically challenged gentleman, I'm still cold. So uh, I just want to let you know that our hoodies and beanies are available on the website. They'll keep you nice and toasty warm on those chilly mornings tending the firebox. The hoodie features our award-winning Hail Mary design on the back and the logo on the front and a big pocket in the front for storage. And the beanie, as you can see, it's got 3D premium uh, embroidery. It's a thick acrylic knit and you can pick them both up from smokinghotconfessions.com slash shop. And if you're enjoying this podcast and you're watching it on YouTube, it'd really help us out if you could give us a thumbs up, a subscribe and ring that notification bell. If you're watching on Facebook, give this video a like and a share. And if you're watching on uh, Instagram television, give us a heart and a follow. And if you're listening on a podcast app, make sure you track down how you can give us a rating and a review. And I tell you what, if you leave me a five-star rating and review, I will give you a shout out on the very next episode. So talking about today's episode, we're going across the ditch. We're going to be speaking with a man who's at the core of the competitive barbecue scene over in New Zealand. He's a Weber man through and through, and in the short time he's been involved in the competition scene, he's got some incredible sponsors, including Kingsford and Matangi Angus Beef. If you've been watching the barbecue game show, you will have noticed that uh, I think two weeks ago now, we had Matangi Angus Beef come in as a guest quiz master, and we got to see some beautiful photographs of their, of their product there. So that was just delicious. And of course, this guy has been a regular contestant on said game show. So naturally, of course, we are talking to. Mr. Daniel Tate. Today we're going to find out how he got into barbecue and the opportunities that barbecue has, a, has opened up for him. We're going to learn a bit more about the barbecue scene in New Zealand because I'm yet to actually make it over there for a competition, but it is on my list of things to do. And we're going to wrap up the interview with a lesson on restoring Weber kettles. So make sure you stick around for that because the Weber kettle craze is showing no signs of slowing down. So let's get stuck into it. This is the internationally awarded Smoking Hot Confessions Barbecue Podcast with your host, Ben Arnott. How long has it been since your last confession? So, Mr. Daniel Tate, welcome to the confessional, my friend. Thank you. Thanks for having us. Awesome to be here. Anytime. It is great to see you. Great to have you, as always. So, um, how have you been since I last saw you on Friday? <laughs> um, pretty good. Busy at work. Um getting a bit of barbecue done did some um did some barbecue on um last night so yeah that's good now i i did check with australia post today and thanks to covid there is up to a five week delay on getting that that hoodie across to you so we are already two and a half weeks in your, your hoodie is on its way i do promise you it is it, it is coming two and a half weeks away yeah yeah just just two and a half weeks to go yeah I'd, i almost uh said to the guy on the phone mate i could build a slingshot and just fire it across faster than that but yeah. i thought no no I, I better keep him on side so mate you cook with uh with the competition team heavy kettle smokers tell us about them yeah so um we sort of um got off the ground in 2017 um 
New Zealand had a Jack Daniel series um, going after the first meat stock we had in Auckland. Um, and um, I only did one that season. Um, but 2018, I started pretty much going to everyone I got a chance to um, with a variety of team members. Um, but um, lucky enough to sort of have three guys, three of us sort of on the permanent roster um, for the first three comps this year. So, um, yeah, consistency is nice. <laughs> I was going to ask, did you see a, um, a bit of a change in your, in your performance and your results once you went from a gypsy team to a, to a regular team? Um, we're still really starting to work, learning to work together, to be honest. Um, but no, things are definitely getting a bit more consistent and we're sort of starting to get our processes down and um, hopefully, you know, <laughs> get some more improvements of results for the rest of the year. Well, mate, I, I know you've already had a, like a couple of good call-ups, so that'll be really nice. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. So these these folks that are on the team are they are they work buddies are they school friends how did you uh, how did you pull the team together? Um, so these guys that come on the team with me, I originally met them at uh, Meatstock last year, um, and they had their own little team they had going, and I think they cooked lamb and brisket and basically cooked nothing else. Um, so chatting to them, and they, they were keen to sort of come on board and give us a hand and um, sort of join in on the fun, I guess. Right. So if they if they only did the uh, the two categories, was that always the plan, or did they um, perhaps have a few too many whiskies and just not get those last couple of hand ins done? No, 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 that was the plan. They just wanted to come along for a good time, see what it was all about, and um, you know, meet some new people. I guess. Yeah. Always, always good when you can uh, when you can make that happen. Um, yeah. So you are a as we said at, at the top of the episode, and it's it's kind of a giveaway in the name. You're a Weber team. So why Webers and what do you like to cook on? Like which, which models? Um, okay, so Webers kind of started for me from a young age um, with my grandfather on his farm. Um, he had a macadamia orchard. So it was always down by the dam cooking on the Weber and um, macadamia shells for smoke and wood for smoke. So um, sort of, yeah, that's my earliest memory of it. Um, then I bought my first Weber about 10 years ago um, and have slowly started to get more of them <laughs> over the years. As um, we do. <laughs> as you do, yeah, yeah. So I think, um, yeah, once I bought my third kettle, I thought I'd decided, well, you know, wh why do what everyone else is doing with the old offset thing? You know, there's nothing wrong with Webers. There's no reason they can't do well, you know? Um, so that's sort of why I decided to stick with them and I think I've sort of, done pretty well with them as well. So, yeah. So do you still have that old Weber from your grandfather's farm? No. <laughs> my parents sold it about two years before I decided I wanted a Weber myself. So. Oh, no. Yeah. Oh, wow. So, yeah. It would do have been nice, but. Do you remember at all what, uh, what, what um, serial code it was? Oh, I wouldn't have a clue. Okay. <laughs> wouldn't have a clue. No, it wasn't even on my radar. No, no, fair enough. Being your grandfather's, it'd almost be guaranteed to be like a '70s model, I'd say. Yeah, I think it still had wooden handles all round, so I'd say it's probably early '80s. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. 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 I've I've got a 1984, and it's got the it's got the Weber uh, the the wooden handles on it. Yeah. Okay. Hmm. Yeah. Very cool. Now you mentioned that it was a that it was a macadamia. What's the word for it? Is it a farm or an orchard? Orchard. Orchard. Yeah. An, an orchard. Okay. Yeah. Because I. I know that it's a nut, so I wasn't sure. Do you call it an orchard or yeah? Okay, so a, a macadamia orchard. 
and you mentioned that you used to use the the wood and the shells for smoke. Yeah, Is there correct. a particular preference for smoke between the shells and like a small wood chunk on top of charcoal? Um, I, I guess I guess the shells are probably slightly stronger. But um, a slightly more consistent burn, I guess, is the big thing. You know, you sprinkle a line of them along rather than having you know a chunk that lights up and then goes out, and then another one lights out and goes out. So, now um, just recently we've started being able to get macadamia shells over here for smoking now. So, I've started using them again. So, yeah, and it, quite a good smell from my past. And I, I was about to say, does it just bring all those memories back and sort of connect you back to yeah. your grandfather in that way? Yeah, definitely, definitely. Yeah, beautiful. So. So what what meats do you like to pair with that um, with that macadamia? Um, I guess it's probably more the red meats that can take a bit more smoke flavour. So like your your lamb and your lamb and your beef, and also um, I did a venison um, backstrap last night. So that worked really well with it. <laughs> yeah. I I saw the pictures of that mate. That looked great. The taste is pretty good. So was that something that you hunted yourself? Because I know that um, that there's quite a bit of deer hunting goes on over there. Uh, no, not myself. I've got a um, a, a lady that work that's at my work. Um, her husband's a home kill butcher. So um, perks of knowing people, I suppose. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Yeah, no doubt. So was it farmed then or was it wild? I believe it was still wild. So it was from um, a farmer, that, uh, a hunter that had bought in some meat to be made into sausages and stuff like that and somehow decided he didn't want the best part but <laughs> mate that's a that's a win for you so i i wouldn't be knocking that at all oh no no i'm, I'm happy to take more <laughs> yeah so is there like a is there a large wild deer population over there or is it is it like farm animals that escaped because I, I i can't imagine that they'd be native there they they must have been uh, no, no. Im- imported they're wild they were bought in as game animals um back in the day so, you know, could some rich person can come and pay a whole lot of money to go and hunt some deer. <laughs> yeah, so, and now there's too many of them. <laughs> we have the same problem over here with, uh, let's see, uh, foxes and rabbits and all these all these imported animals that just get out of control. Yeah, rabbits over here as well as, as possums. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, possums are actually um, uh, protected over here. We aren't allowed to, yeah. uh, to encourage them to leave. Mm. Strange. Yeah, we can encourage them to leave, but slightly more forcefully. Yeah. <laughs> which brings us back to the Webers. So, mm. um, <laughs> which, which, uh, which do you like to cook on when you're, when you're like, are you a Weber Smoky Mountain man or like specifically just kettles? Like, are you exclusively kettles? So I've got a Smoky Mountain, um, which I like to sort of do, um, that's sort of my pork machine, my pork um, shoulder. Um, it just seems to give a real good, sort of flavour and all that thing, thing to it, nice smoke ring and all that. Um, the rest of the stuff I typically cook on my kettles. Um, so a typical comp I'll have, um, you know, a, a kettle per protein plus the Smoky Mountain for same old pork. Um, yeah, um, I just like the consistency of them, to be honest. They just work really well. Um, yeah, so with that, um, with that Smoky Mountain, do you, do you run that with the water pan in the bottom or if you're doing a big, uh, like a big pork shoulder, do you, do you like to let all that that fat drip down and, and hit the charcoal? Yeah, so I've recently just started cooking that way um, without the water pan at all. So, um, And I like the first result I got out of it, so I think I will be cooking a lot, that way a lot more. Um, it's my most challenging protein. You know, it's sort of, I've ended up with the first you know, last year and since then haven't got 
you know, top half with it. So, <laughs> okay, so need to work on that. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I um, I I have a something similar to a Weber Smoky Mountain, and I always used to run the water pan in it. And then someone gave me the tip of actually um, putting in volcanic rock instead of the water pan, and I found that um that the volcanic rock gets hot enough to sort of um not not burn but sort of cook the juices and the fats that that fall down on it and sort of add add more flavor to the meat without actually burning the the fats and the juices but having said that I did it for, uh, for the first time just a few weeks ago I did a hanging lamb leg in the Ozpig with the smoker attachment I don't know if you've seen them and um so I I hung that from inside the smoker so that the the lamb fat and juices could all drop down on, like straight onto the charcoal and wood fire Mate, that was that was pretty epic. The the flavor that came off that. Oh, lamb fat's the best, <laughs> definitely. Yeah. Now you've um you've managed to pick up some like a pretty impressive lineup of sponsors. So you've you've picked up um Kingsford and and yep. Matangi. So tell us about Kingsford first. How did you pick up uh, sponsorship with them? Um, so I was um sort of when I first started competing, and um Adam Roberts had put out a bit of a call saying, look, you know any New Zealand teams want, you know, want a charcoal sponsor, just hit me up and I'll have a word to Kingsford for you. And um, it all sort of happened from there. So, um, so I think I'm with my third season with them now. So. Oh, wow. So, so you've got quite a, happy with me, so. Yeah, quite a long relationship with them now. <laughs> yeah. 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 So uh, it's, um, it's good, good to have them on board, um, you know, charcoal as well as a few other bits and pieces. So yeah, it's really good to have them. Oh, very handy. Yeah. And so, what uh, what is it that you like about their about their briquettes? Um, I, I really like the ones with the fruit wood and and grained into the briquettes. Um, it just I feel like again, like what I was saying with the macadamia shells, it sort of carries on that smoke between your wood chunks lighting up. Um, it's not enough alone, but it's just helps to keep things going along, and it smells really good. Is the other thing. <laughs> yeah, that's always nice. It's um, it, it's probably a really good thing that they've got that little extra bit of a uh, little bit of extra kick in there because sometimes fruit woods can be quite subtle. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, no, it's good, very good. Now, tell me about Matangi beef. You sent me some photos of their stuff, and that is outstanding beef. T- tell us about Matangi. Yeah, so Matangi are a um a farm in Hawke's Bay. Um, they've been around the last year and a half or so, so relatively new. Um, but it's um, 100% grass-raised. So, you know, no grain, none of the, none of the antibiotics, all that sort of stuff. Um, you know, really, really well taken care of animals. Um, you know, not intensive either, so very few animals per hectare or whatever it is. <laughs> um, don't ask me for numbers, but, you know. <laughs> um, but, um, you know, they're still sort of starting out. So last year they did 27 animals over the entire year. So relatively small scale, but um, there are a lot of really good restaurants are using their stuff. Um, yeah. And yeah, there's obviously a reason for it. Um, it's really good. <laughs> really nice. The marbling um, w- was just insane. Um, the You showed me a tri-tip and uh, some uh, rib on bone steaks. Uh, sorry, bone on rib uh, steaks. Yeah, no, it's it's quite amazing, you know, what what they can actually achieve. You know, previously you think you can only get that out of Wagyu, but apparently. <laughs> well, 
first of all, you would assume that you could only get that kind of marbling out of Wagyu. And second of all, out of grain feeding. Exactly. Now, exactly. If they're if they're 100% grass fed, they must have a really carefully curated um, pasture uh, profile. Mm, yeah, it must be like, you know, high calorie and all that sort of thing, lots of nutrients. Um, and I, I suppose, that, yeah, as I said before, the big thing is just not having too many, too many animals on it. Give them enough room to breathe and, you know, give them enough to eat. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, Bit bit closer to how nature intended it. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So I, of course, haven't haven't had a chance to actually try any of it yet. So with all, with that such a high degree of of marbling in that in that Angus, how does it taste compared to Wagyu? Because Wagyu's quite quite rich and heavy. Yeah, so uh, it's it's beefy. It's really beefy, um, which you don't really get out of Wagyu, I think. Um, you know, my last competition I did, we did some short ribs and. The I, I, I almost would want to say it's the best short ribs I've ever eaten. Um, you know, the, yeah, it's just it's just another level. It's it's sort of kind of what I've been hunting for. So um, it's really good to have those guys on board. And so, how did you actually um, like get to know them and 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 get to meet them? Um, so my butcher, um, well, he was my butcher. Um, he recently sold his butchery and is now started a private processing home kill um, business um, and also for like commercial processing he's doing as well obviously with Martangi. so um, he, he's been doing their stuff for about a year now um, but I actually ended up um, I've seen the stuff in the chiller I've seen the stuff in the chiller and always liked the look of it and then I saw a post come up from Martangi on Facebook, and I decided, yeah, I'd, I'd try some, yeah, we'll try some of their stuff and buy some of the stuff off them. So, let the guy, Martin Matthew, know kind of what I'm about, and um, sort of started from there and sort of got talking, and he decided to come along and um, you know sponsor our next few competitions. So, oh, fantastic! Yeah. And so, just listening to you now, I've realised I've been butchering the pronunciation of that word. I've been I've been putting the uh, putting the Australian twang on that matangi, um. So it's it it it's matangi, is yeah, it? Yeah, it's one. Yeah, matangi. Okay, and is that is that a Maori word? Is that like what yeah, is the is. the meaning of that word? I wouldn't have a clue. <laughs> okay, I will Google that later, and I'll put that in the show notes. <laughs> All right. Yeah. So that's um that's uh some some really good beef there. So. With all of your of your competition and uh, all of that sort of stuff going on over there, what sort of um, opportunities had has barbecue opened up for you? Um, I, I guess I've you know met a whole lot of great people is probably the main thing. Um, you know, the people that I probably never would have met otherwise, um, and people I'm proud to call a friend. I suppose is the big thing. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm still kind of separated from the whole. The majority of the people being in Hawke's Bay, most of the people are in Auckland, but um, no, it's it's like going to your best mate's house every time you go to a comp, you know. So, yeah, absolutely, yeah. yeah. And you you you're being pretty humble there, but I know that you've had a a pretty good uh, a pretty good connection come out of this in terms of making pies and all that sort of stuff. So, oh, well, tell yeah. us what happened there. So yeah, it's actually it's actually a really good friend. Um, anyway, um, always used to go and go to his bakery and buy things off him. Me. Um, he won the pie awards a few years ago. 
um, for New Zealand. So um, one was one of his pies when he was working for New World. Um, so he started his own bakery about a year ago, maybe a year and a half ago now, um, and is slowly getting his stuff going. Um, and one day after a competition, I had some leftover brisket. And I thought, hmm, I wonder whether he could make me some pies. <laughs> so we worked together and um, got a you know got a nice recipe together, and um, they're absolutely awesome. Yeah, the best pastry you've ever tasted, I reckon. So. Yeah, so good. I I do love a good brisket pie. Yeah, so his, his, the name of the company is Shano's Bakehouse. Um, so he's um, just based in Hastings. Beautiful, yeah. beautiful. And now he's actually carrying them on the menu, so I got him addicted. <laughs> got a project you'd like to work on with the SHC team? Shoot Ben an email on ben at smokinghotconfessions.com and let's have a conversation. All right, so let's move on now to the NZ barbecue scene. So here in Australia, we always had a strong, what we called barbecue culture, but in once you actually learn about barbecue, it turns out it's actually grilling. So we have a strong, we've always had a strong grilling culture over here. Um, and now Low and Slow is kind of, uh, ha- has joined in with that as well. So we've got, uh, you know, b- both ends of the spectrum there. What is the importance of, of barbecue in New Zealand culture? Um, sort of setting aside for now the low and slow scene? Um, so I guess, um, you know, the, the scene before low and slow was around was pretty much the same as you guys. Um, you know, sausages and tomato sauce and bread and all that sort of thing, um, you know. And, um, you know, always if you're on summer holiday, you'd have a barbecue or out on the boat or you know, going to the beach, you know. Um, you know, most of the time it was gas. <laughs> um, but um, yeah, more recent times, you know, charcoal is becoming a lot more popular, which is nice. So, hmm. it's always a good time for family and friends. Yeah, yeah. Hmm. And and tell me about the hungy. The hungy. Um, so I've only had a couple of them before. I've helped put one down. Um, it is. It's kind of a low and slow, but not. You know, everything is kept a lot more moist, so everything sort of fall apart when it when it's sort of finished. So. Um, are you familiar with the process of how it's done? I know that it's to do with a hole in the ground, but I've never actually been to one. So I've like, I've never actually sort of seen it. Yeah. So it's effectively um, a hole in the ground, chuck a hole of the big river stones in there, the ones that don't explode. Um, <laughs> light, light a big fire on it, let it go down to embers. Um, the rocks are all hot. Um, food goes into baskets, into the, into the ground, get some wet blankets, over the top of them, then a bit of dirt over the top of them, stays in there for 12 hours and um, dig it up and it's all ready and it's really, really tasty. Wow. So it's, it, yeah. it's, it's um, sort of almost similar in, in origin to traditional barbacoa. Well, where's that from? Um, so that's, uh, that's the sort of the, the origin point that, that a lot of people think about when they think about low and slow. So it was... Um, it was uh, sort of a uh, South American or lower states of 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 American method okay. of uh, they dig trenches in the ground and build fires in the ground and all that sort of stuff. So yeah, okay, sounds like it might share some some sort of origins mm. there. But um, the big question I have is, how do you work out 
which are the exploding river stones and which ones are not the exploding river stones? Um, heat them up, I guess. <laughs> just throw them yeah. in the fire and just wait and see what happens. Yeah, well, yeah t- typically, like, a lot of the Marais will actually have a set of stones they've found and they've been using for years and years that they've just kept on chucking back in there and keep on reusing them, so. Oh, okay. Mm. All right, mm. so it's almost like a, like a trial and error thing. Yeah, yeah, but, um, you know, the, obviously they know what to use, um, whereas I'm not a hungry expert. <laughs> okay. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, was, yeah. Um, I was pretty excited because uh, I, I turned 40 last year and the guy across the street and about three doors down he had a big van up and he was called the Hungy Chef. And I was like, oh, yeah. right, that's it. For my 40th birthday, I'm having a Hungy. And then uh, my wife had to have huge surgery on her back. So we pushed my birthday party out and out and out and we're still waiting for it. And um, he's packed up and moved out and he's, he's gone somewhere else. I don't know where he's gone. So uh, no Hungy for me. <laughs> so low and slow then, was that a thing in New Zealand before the competitive scene or was it, uh, did it sort of kick off at the same time? Um, so low and slow as an American low and slow, um, probably started with the whole, you know, around the time just before meat stock kind of got over here. Um, but before that, you know, there was a lot of, um, you know, I know I personally, I've been cooking low and slow for 10 years, just not knowing it, Yeah. (laughs) you know, um, you know, chucking a beef roast in there and doing it for eight hours, you know, um, yeah, kind of. Yeah, by mistake, I guess. <laughs> but it was good, so. <laughs> yeah, right. So when you say a, a beef roast, was that like a chuck roast for pulled beef? Like, like were you doing pulled beef and like knowing that you were doing pulled beef or were you just doing like a like a low temperature uh, rib roast or something? Yeah, yeah. So it was a, I think it was most like top side or that sort of thing. Um, like a typical roast and just cooking it nice and slow and um, slicing it, I guess, is the main thing. Um, okay. You know, for bread rolls or whatever it is, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, not not the you know the classic American style, but you know sort of get in there. <laughs> yeah, so sort of uh, blending the style with the with the uh, sort of more English cuts. Mm, yeah, I guess so. Interesting. Okay, cool. And so the the competition scene. You said that that was just before the first meat stock. I was just talking with Jay a couple of days ago. That was I think 2017. I think he said. Yeah, start of 2017 was our first proper competition, um, was meat stock. Um, so I didn't compete that year. Um, I went up as a spectator, and it was awesome. Yeah. <laughs> Pretty cool. I sort of knew about the whole American scene just before meat stock. Um, you know, there's a, there was a local barbecue joint that came down here, and he was doing a few pop-ups, and I sort of got to be really good friends with them. That was probably mid-2016. And um, that's sort of when I started cooking that sort of style. Yeah. Um, and, yeah, so, and then the first series kicked off at the end of 2017. Um, so Jack Daniels had sort of got together and put together a series um, and sort of all snowballed from there, I guess. Yeah, cool. Yeah. And so we'll, we'll get back to Meatstock in a minute. What was the competition that, that was before Meatstock? You said that Meatstock was the first real one. Um, there were a few amateur competitions. I never really had nothing much to do with them. Um, it was just, yeah, I, I can't recall exactly where they were, but I do know there was one or two amateur sort of things going on, nothing really formal. Um, it was more sort of local areas rather than anybody traveling for it. Um, 
but Meatstock really started it all. <laughs> yeah, right. Okay. So Meatstock kicked off. Jack Daniels built a built a series kind of around the model. Um, because the the Jack Daniels is is separate from the Meatstock, isn't it? They're not they're not separate. partnered up. Separate, yeah. Yep, Completely okay. separate. Yeah, cool. Um so, so still ABA sanctioned, but or now NZBA, but was ABA at the time. Um and um Awesome. So what was the growth like? Did it sort of explode or was it a, was it a, if you'll pardon the bad pun, a slow burn? <laughs> um, sort of, oh, I think there was most, you know, it was, it was about 15 teams for the first sort of part of this, the season. And I think once it got into 2018, um, I think there was about another four in 2018 and that sort of gained a bit more of a following and there was sort of up to about 20 teams. Um, from different sort of regions. So the series sort of went all over New Zealand. Um, so Auckland, Wellington, Hawke's Bay, Hamilton, um, they were planning on going to Christchurch, but they couldn't get enough people down there. Um, but um, there's since then there has been a competition down there. So um, now all pretty much everyone gets a go. Yeah. Well, that's actually something that I hadn't thought of, but uh, like, I guess it's a good question to ask. Is it, do you find that it's that the barbecue scene is concentrated in the North or the South Islands? North Island, definitely. Oh, okay. Uh, most of it's in Auckland. Um, you know, that, that's the highest concentration of the people as well as up in Auckland as well. Um, whereas a few of us travel, you know, six hours to get to most comps. So, yeah. So Hawks, Hawks Bay then where you are, is that South Island or North Island? North Island. Oh, okay. Yeah. Gotcha. Yeah. Gotcha. Okay. The middle of the North Island. Um, have you heard of Taupo before? Yeah, I have actually. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, directly east. Oh, okay. Yeah. Very nice. I I did a a little trip around the South Island when I was in high school, but um, so my my jo- my geography knowledge of New Zealand is pretty rough. I do apologise. Yeah. So 2018, you saw up to up to about 20 teams. Where's it at as of? Well, I won't say now because we know where it's at now. It's, it's the same as everywhere else. But at the start of 2020, how, so that, how, how big was the scene? How many teams? Um, 2020. So um, last season, I think there was around 70 teams. 70, wow. Total that competed. Um, not, not all of them in one place at one time. Sure, but, yeah. Um, yeah. There were 70 teams that had done at least one comp. So, um, so a reasonable amount of people, you know. That's actually really impressive, and on a per capita basis, that's that's more than us. Mm, that's quite a few. Yeah, we've got uh, 250 teams, but we've got about I think six times the population, or five times the population, something like that. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, you've got um, the maths is hurting my brain, but more, yeah. more, more, more per capita. I know that it's more per capita. Yeah, yeah. So who are the who are the uh, the barbecue competition stars over there? Who are the biggest players in the scene? Biggest players in the scene? Oh, there's quite a few of them. Um, so the current grand champion is um, is Team Barbecue War. You've probably seen their tank everywhere. Everyone's yeah. seen it probably. Um, yeah, Rum and Q are big. Pretty 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 experienced. Um, the 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 first grand champion we had over here, Caleb. He was um, big tent meat revival, so he actually died of cancer at the start of um, start of the lockdown, um, which was very sad for the whole community. Um, yeah, he, he's quite missed, to be honest. 
Um, yeah, I'd, I remember seeing those posts. Um, you know, heart, heartfelt feels go out to his family and friends. Oh, exactly. Yeah, that's just such a great guy, the most genuine guy you could ever meet. Mm. Looked like he gave um, a lot to the to the scene as well. Oh, massive! Yeah, he was always there for advice. Um, you know, he wouldn't turn anyone away. Nah. He's just good guy, good guy, really good guy. Yeah. Um. So you've also spoke, spoken to Brendan Racemer of um, <sighs> the Smoking Meat House. Ah, <laughs> oh, right. Okay. Yeah, so yep. He um he managed to GC meat stock this year, um, which was awesome. Um, so he's one of the local guys down in Hawke's Bay. So it was awesome to see a local guy. Ah, oh, there you go. Walk away with big prize. Um. And so many, so many teams, you know, and there's a few teams, new teams that have come on recently that have really smashing things, to be honest. Yeah. <laughs> really well. So the, the learning curve is, is getting shorter and shorter then. Yeah. yeah I, I suppose um, the, the cool thing about the New Zealand scene is there's no secrets. <laughs> you go up to someone and they'll pretty much give you their, their recipe, you know? <laughs> I, I actually heard and, this is good because you can tell me if, if if this is true or not. I heard that it's actually policy at 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 competitions that there's no walls on the tents. Um, not policy, but it's unspoken. Yeah, definitely. Oh, okay. Uh, yeah, <laughs> but um, you know, everyone's your mate. You know, you sort of you know, hey, and you might want to see what they're doing as well. Yeah. You know? <laughs> <laughs> I um I, I remember one competition uh, that that I was competing at. I, I always have all my walls down unless there's inclement weather and uh, my neighbours had all their walls up and um, very tightly closed. And throughout the weekend, one of the, the Velcro seams started to come apart on their walls and I just, I grabbed my, uh, I, I grabbed my phone in my hand and just stuck my hand through the hole in the wall <laughs> and just started panning my, panning my phone around and then I pulled my hand out I, I didn't make any sound. I just wanted to see if, if, if they'd notice. And dead set, following my hand back out the hole was one of their hands with a knife and they started panning the knife around. <laughs> I thought that was pretty funny. Mm. I, I, I was being cheeky and they were cheeky right back. Yeah. Uh, so is, is Meatstock the, the, the biggest then or is, is Jack Daniels kind of really building up their competitions as well? Yeah, so Meatstock has been, has been the biggest. So I think we had... Um, 54 teams this last year um but as a sort of comparison we had 40 teams at cumu at the start of the year so you know the jack daniel series is actually getting there to be honest um yeah probably that, that cumu comp is probably one of the coolest coolest comps ever um it's part of a hot rod show nice yeah so yeah rocket cars and all sorts of stuff racing all around the place so and it's if- really cool everybody all decked out in their rockabilly gear and yep, exactly. live yep. music and all that sort of stuff. Yeah. Nah. Awesome. Awesome place. Yeah. One I never miss. Perfect. Perfect. So um, what, what do you do over there that, um, that you would describe as being uniquely New Zealand in your, in your barbecue cooking? So is there, um, I mean, you've, you, you've talked about wild deer. Um, you've talked about uh, the, the macadamia farms. Um, in Australia, we like to consider lamb to be our Australian category when we're talking about barbecue to Americans, but I know that there's a lot of lamb done over in New Zealand as well. Um, uh, lemon, lemon myrtle is, is, a, is a common Australian herb that a lot of people put in their, 
in their lamb spice rubs and all that, and, and their and their game rubs. What sort of uh, uniquely New Zealand stuff do you guys use? Um, I, I don't know really whether we've um, gained much of a sort of a regional sort of thing yet, to be honest. Um, you know, we've, again, we're big on lamb. Lamb's one of our big ones. Um, we've done a done duck at a few competitions as well, which um, seems to go down really well. Um, really tasty. Um, yeah, we sort of we're sort of part of the Australian team. We're sort of doing a lot of the similar things you guys are, really. Um, never tried lemon myrtle though. That that could be interesting. It goes really nicely on the, on the white meats. Okay, it's really good, and it's and it's well. um it's a nice counterpoint to some of the richness in the lamb. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's really good. I I I really like it. But uh, tell me about the duck. How do you go about doing a duck? Um, so duck. Well, um, the past few comps we'd um, we'd just parted it out, and um, we ended up serving duck breast. So just a nice um, sort of you know cook three hundred Fahrenheit, um, and then give it a nice glaze, and then slice it, chuck it in the box, and it seems to do quite well. <laughs> okay, and what sort of flavour profile do you uh, do you go with? Because I know that um, the duck has quite a rich fat to it. So do you go with like a more of a vinegary type glaze, or do you go with like a heavy tomato based glaze? Yeah, so it was, we actually used um, sort of an orange-based glaze. With nice. A, um, you know, sort of typ- typical Asian flavours, you know. Bit of cinnamon in the rub as well, so it goes quite well. Um, yeah. I <laughs> yeah, love putting cinnamon nice. in my in my beef rub. Everyone looks at me like I'm crazy, but yeah, cinnamon in yeah. beef rub. Mm. Fascinating. But no, we, we, we ended up getting sick in the first year we did duck, so that was, that was cool, so yeah. Very nice. I went to a competition in Perth where they, where they had whole duck was a category okay. and, and it was really funny because I was uh, going around and uh, shooting videos and interviews and things with the different teams and they all had like a, a, a duck or two ducks hanging by their necks up in the, <laughs> uh, up in their various tents around the, around the site. It was pretty funny. Yeah. Well, we just given, got given, I think they gave us three ducks and you do what, what you want with them basically. Um, oh, wow. So we ended up parting two out and then sort of cooking all those bits separately and then went did one hole and just left it and did its own thing. And realistically, we should have handed that one and it was delicious. <laughs> yeah, it's always what what not goes in the box that you're like, oh, that was the best. Yeah. And then you start kicking yourself. Mm-hmm. So we mentioned before that, of course, there's, there's no comps happening at, at the moment. Mm-hmm. Um, New Zealand is uh, is sort of known around the world right now for being at the forefront of um, reaction and response to COVID. Uh, mm-hmm. So it stands to reason then that your comp scene would be starting up again before anybody else's. Is there any word on the street yet of uh, of when your comps are going to get back online? Um, so there's one that's pretty almost certainly going ahead in September. Um. And there's rumours of August as well. So as soon as um, August, wow. Yeah, um, but um, we've yeah the the September one's actually a local one, so which is nice. So um, first comp of the season, you know, of the second part of the season, will be be at home. Um, but it's um, it's a it's a really cool one. It's at a um, little craft brewery, oh. um, and um, they've also got cabins there as well. So um, quite a few of the teams are actually staying right next to where they're um where the barbecues will be. So that's perfect. Absolutely mm. perfect. So what, uh, what, what comp is that? 
Um, it's the West Shore Beach and Barbecue Battle. Um, yeah, so it's um, in Napier. Okay. Um, sort of right near the Napier Airport. So um, a lot of the teams will fly and fly out as well for it. So, oh, wow. Yeah. Are you going to be um, attracting some international visitors, do you think, or, or will the borders still be closed? Well, if you want to come along, Ben, I reckon we'd probably find a place for you. Oh, I, <laughs> I was actually thinking more like like Mo Kason or, you know, Sterling Smith or someone, uh, oh, it's, someone it's a bit of a bigger yet. fish than me. That's <laughs> uh, not that big yet. So it's um, sort of going to be around the 25-team comp, that one. Um, max, I would say. Um, there's not a great deal of room there, so... Um, but um, there'll be, I don't think we've got anyone. Oh, probably Trevor Dawson will probably come over, as always. Yep, yep. You know Trev? Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, Aussie Clip Boys? Yeah, yeah. He's yeah. Uh, he's currently number one on the on the ladder over here. Oh, wow. Cool. They're, they're the only team that, that managed to get three comps in before COVID shut everything down. So if... Yeah, because uh, they did RGC at Maystock, um, Auckland, so... yeah. Yeah, yeah, so if 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 we don't get a competition over here for the rest of the year, they're automatic number one team of the year for twenty twenty. Nice. Yeah, <laughs> in a in a in a running race of one. Mm. <laughs> yeah. Uh he was always going to be at the at the pointy end anyway. I I I was actually tipping twenty twenty was going to be his year. Uh, it uh, could be. Yeah. Um. Yeah. He, he just cooks amazing stuff. It's yeah. He does. Yeah. 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 So that um that competition in September that uh, uh the Kumu Beach and Barbecue, um is there a seafood category in that? Um no there isn't. Um so we've got sort of the the, the five categories so your your lamb, beef, pork, pork ribs and chicken, um and then we're actually doing SCA on the Saturday. Oh cool. So, so um just trying to remember what the categories were. I think it's um deviled eggs. It's one of the categories. <laughs> um, tacos and double steak. So oh, nice. Yeah, and of course you'll have some of those martangi, ma- martangi uh, steaks there as well. Unfortunately, not. <laughs> They're um, being sponsored by um, by Ebony. Oh, okay. Yeah, so the whole everyone will be sponsored by Ebony for the two, the, the four steaks. I guess it would be. Okay, gotcha, gotcha. So it's a yeah. it's a sponsored event. Yeah, yeah. So the the stakes are most of the time. Yeah, it's always going to be from the same place. So people don't go and buy a three hundred dollar, you know, Japanese wagyu scotch fillet sort of thing. You know. Yeah, um, I, I I should have known that. I just realised after I said it. I've <laughs> I've been to like eight SCAs now. I should I should remember that you get the the stakes are issued to you. Anyway, never mind. <laughs> Yeah, well, look, man, I'm I'm really hoping that those comps do get to uh, kick off soon for you because it'll be good to to see you get out there and 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 get amongst it. And I dare say that uh, that the New Zealand scene is going to be the first to be able to get back up there again. It probably uh, probably will be, to be honest. Um, I think we're down to, if not one zero. You're listening to the internationally awarded Smoking Hot Confessions podcast with massive barbecue nerd Ben Arnott. Alrighty, so let's now jump into um, the final segment of the of, of the interview. You're going to tell us a bit about um, about restoring Webers, being the huge Weber fan that you are. So, of the Webers that you own, how many of them did you buy new, and how many are rescues? Um, so, of the Webers I own, um, I've got two kettles that are new, and um, a Smoky Mountain that's new, um, and then I think I've got another 
three kettles that are old sort of rescues, I guess you'd call them. Yeah. Um, you know, 1986, 1988, and 1991. So um, um, relatively old. Um, luckily, I've, I've managed to get them in quite good condition and made very little work to them. Um, but, um, you know, just, just a, a quick tidy up and they, they look a million bucks. Um, yeah, yeah. But they cook good either way. <laughs> so when you are out there and you are looking to rescue a kettle, what are you looking for in, in the kettle? So is there a certain point or a certain, um, is there a certain uh, particular problem that might pop up that you go, oh, no, that, that, that kettle's too far gone or, oh, yeah, that one just needs a little bit? Like what, what are you looking for when you're looking to rescue a kettle? You know, I suppose one of the one of the things that would almost be a a, a um, deal breaker for me is if you start to end up with your legs rusting off. Once the the brackets the legs attached to are gone, it's pretty much gone. Um, you know, I guess you could bolt them back on, um, but I yeah, I like to have them in a bit better condition to start off with. You know, um, I have I have um, with my one of my first ones I rescued. Um, we actually had to weld the handle back on top of it. So have a mate that's with a TIG welder, so managed to get that back on there and had enough metal on there that was still good, so huh. now the handle's steady as. So the, the handle had just rusted out or it had been smashed off? Um, so, you know, the, the whole typical Weber thing, they, they get a bit of rust around where the handle attaches onto the bolt, um, and eventually if you put it out in the rain and it'll rust through eventually. Um, it'll get in there and sort of, just sort of gets trapped in there and can't get out again and has no other option to but to go out through the bottom. <laughs> yeah, fair enough. I can certainly understand that. And so aside from the uh from the from the leg mounts where the legs plug into the bottom of the Weber, what else do you pay particular attention to? Um I'd like to see if you know, I like most components to be there if I can. Um, you know, you can always buy them as a spare part. Um, we were really good and they're really helpful about it. Um, but uh, I, I, I'm not particularly looking for a mint condition barbecue, to be honest, um, as long as it's going to be functional. Um, you know, I don't mind the odd chip of, out of the enamel. Um, it sort of adds to the character. Um, I'm not going to go and repaint them or anything like that. It's sort of, it's, you know, it's, it's not respecting the history of the barbecue, really. Interesting way to, to phrase that, respecting the history of the barbecue. I like that. So tell me about your, your restoration process then. So you've, you, you've been cruising the streets, you've found a curbside kettle, you've checked it out, the leg mounts look good, it's got all the bits and pieces, it's in the back of the car, you've got it home. How do you set about restoring it? So probably the first, first thing you do is, um, is, is getting rid of all the crud that's sort of baked onto it. Um, if, if it's if it's an old used one, um, yeah. Um, so a, a paint scraper is basically the first step. Um, you know they're a baked glass enamel, so they can take a lot of abuse. Um, you know you can hit it with that paint scraper, and it won't damage it at all. So sort of get the most of that that off to start off with, um, and then get in there with a bit of um, warm water and a steel wool, and um, maybe just a rag to polish it up a bit. Um, I'm not really looking to take it too far. Um, I just want to make it look good. It doesn't need to look brand new. It's not going to look brand new ever again. So I believe on cooking on everything. I don't believe on keeping it or not using it. Um, 
yeah, so a bit of steel wool and then um, just normally a bit of steel wool on the outside with warm water is all it really takes. Um, just the sort of the CLO scarab pads with the soap in them. They yeah. usually do pretty well. Um, and then give them a good run, rinse down. Um, so that's sort of the enamels really taken care of. Um, any sort of aluminium parts, um, get a nice metal polish on there. Or even if it's really bad, a bit of a light grit sandpaper. Um, give those a bit of a, a, a tune down and then um, hit them with a the polish afterwards and sort of bring them back to a nice new new sort of condition. Um, and then sort of your grates, um, you know, they're either going to be rescuable or they're not. Um, you know, give them, hit them with a wire brush, um, coat them with a bit of oil and cook with them, I suppose. Yeah. 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 So when you're, um, when you've got your, uh, your steel wool there, are you using that on both the inside and the outside of the kettle or just the outside? No, both, both. Yeah. Both. Yep. Um, just, you know, it's, uh, again, it's a pretty bulletproof surface. So, um, you know, it's all, you know, that's why they chip so badly when you drop them is because they're glass basically. So, um, yeah, no, steel, steel wool will work around the whole lot and the warm water and a little bit, you know, the soap that's actually on the pad really helps to sort of, um, get rid of those, just a little sort of burnt on spots, I guess. Um, and what, what you can also do, like, I don't know whether you've ever seen a Weber that's got sort of speckles on the outside of it, like little white dots around the outside of it. No. So just a vegetable on a rag and then heat it up and it'll actually sort of bring the uh, back to a nice smooth surface. Vegetable oil on a rag. Yeah. So uh, vegetable oil on a rag. Yeah. So just cooking oil on yeah. a rag and just give it a nice wipe around the lid and it'll sort of um, fill in all the little imperfections a little bit. Um, oh. and, and a similar sort of technique if you've got any enamel that's chipped off. Just get it nice and warm and then put some oil on a rag, vegetable oil on a rag, and um, just rub it into those, and it sort of helps protecting it from rusting. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, very nice. Now, you mentioned um, something about soap before, that it was important to get a um, a, a pad with, with soap inside it. So is that um, like do you get some dish soap and put it in the warm water and, and, and use that with the, uh, the metal um, – oh, a mental blanking. Hmm. The scour pad. pad, yeah, the the metal stuff. Um, you you can do that. Um, but there's, I don't know whether have you got the Stelo brand over there? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And they've actually got a little bit of they've got a little like a soap on the surface of them. Oh, okay. Have you seen those? Um, I can't recall now. Yeah. Okay. So you can get lemon ones, you can get all sorts of different, um, sort of scent ones. Um, but yeah, they actually come with a soap on them. Um, which actually oh. seems to work quite well and gets a, quite a nice little lather going. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, but I, I, yeah, sunlight would work just fine, and and water. Yeah. Oh, very good, mate. My uh, my kettles are going to be loving me. I've uh, I'm I'm overdue to uh to to give my kettles some love. I actually yeah. went to grab one my my old 1984 one I was telling you about the other day, and mm-hmm. it's um it's actually seized at the bottom, and uh, oh, yeah. all the um the little uh, nut and bolt underneath it that that screws up into the one touch system. That's mm-hmm. all rusted, frozen, shut, and I'm just worried yeah. I'm going to snap it if I try and uh, try and put too much elbow grease in it. So I'm going to have to contact Weber and get a replacement set and then snap it. <laughs> yeah. So um, what you what you do is the um, little the thing that looks like a nut on the bottom of it isn't actually a nut. <laughs> then it's I just, would probably definitely snap it off yeah. then. <laughs> um, so all, all you do is you get a cutoff wheel 
and where the handle goes through that, um, take a cutoff wheel and just basically slice down either side. Okay. Of where the is, um, and then give it a light tap from the bottom and it will fall straight out through. Oh, good to know. Um, so, yeah, the, the, handle, uh, the handle and the little washer on the bottom is the only thing that's holding that vent from falling through. Oh, right. Mm, yeah. Oh, interesting. All right, well, my, my kettle's going to be looking so good in no time at all. And uh, all right, so um, that, that's probably a good point to, uh, to start closing out the interview now. So um, I'm going to throw the studio over to you, give some thanks, give some shout outs and tell everybody where, the, where they can follow heavy kettle smokers on the, uh, on the internet. Yeah, so um, thanks, thanks for having us, Ben. It's um, great to sort of have you involved and, um, you know, getting the word out there. Um, yeah, there's quite a few people I'd like to thank. Um, my partner for putting up up with me um you know going away to competitions and um having lots of barbecues and barbecue related stuff around the house <laughs> um all my sponsors they're you know they're awesome you know um we've got martangi we've got um low and slow barbecue supplies and a local supplier here um really takes really good care of me um shano's bakehouse um he's yeah he's a great supporter and he helps us out with um you know with fuel costs and stuff like that, which, which is really good. Um, Kingsford, um, um, yeah, they they've just invaluable. Like, uh, just it's it's so good to have them on board, and the support they give us is just yeah, great. Um, and also my work, <laughs> so I'm, I'm an electrician, um, and they they let me use the work van to go to competitions, which is very helpful. Um, I have to put gas in, but that's, you know, that's fine. Um, but yeah, I wouldn't, I'd struggle to get to a lot of them if, if I couldn't have A, the time off and B, the way to get there. So yeah. Um, and who else have I got? There's probably so many people that I'm forgetting. Martangi, of course. Um, yeah. Awesome stuff. Um, yeah, and um, as far as getting in contact with me, um, on Facebook, um, I haven't got onto the Instagram or anything like that, but on Facebook, heavy, search Heavy Kettle Smokers Comp Team and you'll see us there. Um, and, um, yeah, we, we try and involve people if we can. Um, you know, put a couple of recipes and we hope to do that a bit more in the future. So um, it would be great if you can jump on there and give us a, give us a follow or a like and... Um, let us know who you are and we can do the same to your page. So, Excellent, mate. Sounds good. I'm, I'm sure you're going to get to uh, pick up a few likes because you're, a, you're obviously a very genuine guy and you're very passionate about the barbecue scene and people are going to be drawn to that. So, mate, I just want to say thank you for, for taking the time to come on board the show. Um, I've had a great time talking to you and I'm sure the listeners have had a great time listening and watching. Now we've got video as well. And uh, so, yeah, thank you very much. Thank you, Ben. Cheers. So there you have it, family. That was Dan Tate from Heavy Kettle Smokers from New Zealand. I've been talking to Dan for a while now in the, in the Smoking Hawk Professions barbecue game show. He's a top guy. He's really passionate about barbecue, and he loves championing the New Zealand barbecue scene. And how good was that advice on restoring those kettles? So do make sure you jump over onto Facebook, look up their page, Heavy Kettle Smokers Comp Barbecue Team, and, uh, and, and make sure you give them a follow and, uh, and, and throw Dan some love. Now, if you've joined... A, now, if you've enjoyed today's show and you're listening on a podcast app, please take a minute to leave a rating and a review. If you're watching on YouTube, be sure to hit subscribe, ring that bell for notifications and give us a thumbs up. 
And if you're watching on Facebook, it's a share and a like. And IGTV, it's a heart and a follow. So I'd really appreciate that. And it would really help us out to spread the message here from Smoking Hot Confessions. So that's all the time we have for today. So until next time, take care of each other and keep on queuing. Thanks for listening to the Smoking Hot Confessions podcast. Head on over to smokinghotconfessions.com for recipes, tips, and Ben's own confessions. <laughs>